I knew that you were going to love this. Got it? <laughs> there you go, Kim. Thank you, Mike. Shalom. Good morning, Stone Hill. About three months ago, Lord led on me to uh, read three books, three Jewish Messianic Jewish books, bringing Christ and the Old Testament together. And I felt like a student back again. And very, very good. But before I get into uh, more of the biblical, I got to tell you about these two. There's a story behind them. First is Miss Kitty, the goat. Miss Kitty was a year ago, walking out, checking on everything, and I hear, I thought, well, it's coming from the sheep part. That's got to be a goat. Well, anyways, his mother had two, had twins. Somehow, it got out not one part, but into three other parts with the sheep. It was, it was the older of the kid goats at that time, just born. The other one, the mom was with, the second one. So I picked up Miss Kitty. Uh, oh, by the way. It's Miss K-I-D-D-Y instead of K-I-T-T-Y on Gunsmoke because she's dark, and so I called her Miss Kitty. And I took her. It was cold out, snow on the ground. You know, I could understand why she was crying. So I quickly dried her off, got her with Mom, got her in a pen, and got them together, and Mom started buttoning her would not take her. So I got a hold her. And nope, still was fighting him. So I got Vicks, my little secret Vicks, put it in her nose, both kids. Nope. So I'd have to tie her, but let enough on that she could lay down, but not but the little kid. So then every morning and evening, I'd go over release her a little bit, hold her, and hold her so that uh, Miss Kitty could nurse. Well, one day I was doing this, and she turned around and hit Miss Kitty into the bucket of water. I said, that's it. Took her home, bottle fed her the rest of the time. Um, so she was rejected by her mom. The next is the lamb. I nicknamed him Lazarus. 
there's a story behind that. Sam was supposed to be here today. He was, he's got the sinus infection. He was sick. I said, you just stay here. Better not be around people. But anyways, uh, I'm in the uh, where we, nursery where we keep the new moms and, ki and, and baby lambs. And he's over in the other. And I said, well, go ahead and deliver it. Because they had the feet, front feet were out, just go ahead and deliver it. So he delivered it. One of our good friends that helped us on the farm was there too, so I had two witnesses. Anyways, I said, Dad, it's dead. I ran over, took my fist, and hit him in the chest three times. He goes, ah, ah. there he is. So he's Lazarus. And by the way, his mother rejected him. So I thought, okay, you know, one comes along, usually we, we foster them on to the, well, we had another lamb you have, and she lost hers. We delivered it, and it was dead. So I quickly got the smell of that lamb over on to Lazarus. Lo and behold, she rejected it. So he was rejected by his mom and his stepmom. So he was old enough that I just let him, I said, Sammy's old enough now, he'll steal, he'll learn. And so unfortunately he is a stealer and you see he's doing fine. But uh, he, all the other mothers are, you know, when they're eating hay, they don't care if it's good hay. So they don't care who's nursing on them, they wanna eat the hay. So he gets all he wants. Now I'd like to bring in more of the biblical sense of the sheep and goats. Uh, by the way, how many of you know what a Shemitah is? Anybody know what a Shemitah is? Shemitah, God's, you remember, God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. A Shemitah is seven. Okay, in the Hebrew and Jewish world as a farmer, you are to plant and sow and grow for six years. On the seventh year, you are to leave the land idle, no more no commerce, no going out buying anything on that seventh year because God wanted you to worship him on the seventh year and rely on him. Just as the seventh day, God has you to worship or the Sabbath. Now also God had a thing in there that you take seven times seven years and by the way, it's the Jewish calendars by seasons. It's a, it's a little different than our calendar. 
It's by seasons. Seven times seven years. Does anybody know what seven times seven years is in the Jewish world? It's the Jubilee. Jubilee is redemption. Jubilee is when all debts are forgiven. Wouldn't that be great? Guess what year this is? This is the golden global jubilee year. Also, if you go back, and the reason I know a lot of this, how many of you ever read Harbinger? Or the second Harbinger? If you get a chance, read them. It'll tell you exactly what's happening in the United States happening in ancient Israel. On the Shemitah, every time we've had a downfall in the stock market, it happens to be on a seventh year Shemitah. So things sometimes just don't happen randomly. God is in control. God is in control. Okay, so I gave you the background of Lazarus, Miss Kitty. And by the way, a year ago, I had this before I go into it. I had the sheep. Every day I go out, I, and the sheep had great green hay, and the bullpen had junk hay. And yet I had this sheep put its head through the fence and would be caught every day. After about four days of that, I said, that's enough. So I put a fence in front of it. But you know, when I saw that fourth day and, and finally put a fence, another fence in front of that so it couldn't get its head stuck, I thought, how much are we just like that sheep? We think the, the uh, hay or the grass is greener on the other side when it's not. God gives us his laws, his his. Bible, the Word of God, for our, to keep us from putting our head in the fence and getting stuck. And by the way, Pastor, Pastor Joy does such a great job. Pastor comes from the word pastor, or the, you know, where the sheep eat is called pasture or grass. And and needless to say, that you know, pastors are feed my sheep, Jesus told his disciples, feed my sheep. You know, God was a farmer. You know, we, and I, he was a different farmer, you know, because he always talks about pruning the fruit. You know, our fruit trees or the bear, trees bearing, that could be olives trees. But he had to trim off the branches so it would provide better fruit. How many times has he pruned on you? He's pruned me a lot. And it hurts, but it makes us better, makes us grow in him. He teaches us, don't go there. But when we 
One thing I learned too in, in, in the Old Testament, when we go and work, we are to worship him. We are to worship him. Do we worship him? Are we there lifting our fellow workers up? Okay, one of the first ones was Abraham. Abraham, and I was getting Mike out here a while ago. I said, I had a trailer full of wood out there. I need you to carry on your shoulder and bring in here because um, we're going to use you for the sacrifice. I said, God hasn't sent his messenger to me not to sacrifice you. But... No, Isaac was led on a donkey up to Mount Moriah part way, and from there they gathered the wood, and he carried the wood on his shoulder. And Abraham led that donkey until we got to the certain place, and then on Mount Moriah, gets off and gathers the wood, and he carries it on his shoulder the rest of the way up. Isaac says, Where's our sacrifice? Now, how would you like to be the dad saying to your son, son, you are the sacrifice. But you know what? He did tell him. And Isaac was willing to follow God too, just like his dad did. And say, yes, I will be the sacrifice. And then right at the last second, boom, a messenger, an angel came and said, there's a ram caught in the thicket. A ram caught in the thicket. And they sacrificed that and burned it. Just as from that time on, there was sacrifice of animals. Birds were sacrificed. Uh, cattle were sacrificed. Uh, sheep and goats. And it goes on and on and on. But the main ones you hear about are the sheep and goats. Then, before that, you had Cain and Abel. Before Abel, or after, I'm sorry, after Noah, you had Cain and Abel. Abel offered the fattest lamb, and God found favor in him. But Cain... You know, and I always read this verse, and I never offered grain. No. Cain offered worthless grass and worthless seed. See, it was all about attitude, and God rejected him. And because of that, then you know what happened. He murdered Abel, and then he was left wandering the world. Um. And, you know, just was, never did find God. Jehovah Jireh. You've heard the word Jehovah Jireh. God is the provider. God provided that ram that Abraham sacrificed instead of his son. 
Then as time went on, you had Moses. He was called, you know, he was there in Egypt, was sitting with the Pharaoh, found eyes favored, and then he left because of the murder of the Jews and, and so forth. So he is called back to go and save his people, and yet Moses, you know, I'm happy where I'm at. I don't want to go back there. I don't want the headaches. But he did. He followed God. He listened to him. As time went on, Pharaoh kept refusing him. And uh, finally, the Paschal lamb, which is the Passover lamb. You know, every, most of the Jewish holidays, they start out, they go in the evening when they start the, the holidays. And the lamb was to be sacrificed, the blood taken and putting over the doorpost protect the firstborn from being sacrificed. The Jewish tradition of Passover is to sacrifice the lamb at night, butcher it, eat it with bitter herbs, and matzah. Matzah is the flat bread without yeast. Without yeast. When you put yeast into making bread, it puffs it up. In other words, yeast represents like sin because we take pride in ourselves. When we take pride in ourselves, there becomes less of God and more of us. And, 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 and it's supposed to be less of us and more of God. So there's another sacrifice of the lamb. Then also in Exodus, you had the scapegoat. There were actually two goats picked. And the one was called the scapegoat. And, and also the, in Yom Kippur, which they celebrate today, or, you know, but they don't use the goat anymore as sacrifices. But Yom Kippur meant you pick two goats. The one is like the, the Amaziki, and the other is the Adonai. The Amaziki is the one that they would sacrifice and kill for our sins. The scapegoat was the one that they would take and put out, and they would wander off into the wilderness. And they were to pray on that, that would release their sins and their anxieties to the wilderness. So that's, there were actually two goats that were sacrificed, but one was released. And you know, when Jesus was on trial, they had the choice of who would go on the cross. They gave, uh, they gave us a scapegoat for Jesus. No, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. He was a thief. We want Barabbas. 
So he was the scapegoat. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. Every year, the high priest would carry a lamb up the mountain and sacrifice on up the mountain and sacrifice it. The lamb, the lamb's blood. Um, to forgive our sins. As he sacrificed, he'd slice his throat and say, it is finished. It is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, the day of before he was the triumphal entry, if you remember, they threw palms, branches, and all that as he rode the donkey and went up to the mountain where normally there was the sacrificial lamb of the high priest. But this time, Jesus didn't carry a lamb. He was the lamb. And then when he was on the cross... The last breath he had, it is finished. It is finished. Even in the, uh, the Jewish kingdom at that time, they realized there was earthquake. The temple, the curtain broke in two. As Gentiles, we would have been in the outer courts. Only the, G Jude the Hebrew people were in the middle, and only the high priest could go in the holiest of holies certain times of the year. And they had their seven lights going. The seven lights, which was filled with the oil, that had all gone off. They were out. Even the rabbis at that time had written, something has changed. Something great has happened. Something is different. They some of them even realized what they had done, who Jesus was. Do you realize there's revival breaking out in China, Iran, Israel, uh, various points in the world? We never hear because of our news, sorry to say. But it is. And in China, they're so scared of uh, the Communist Party, is so scared that they're outnumbering the Communist Party, Christians are. I had a neighbor I was explaining that to, and he says, well, they're killing them. I said, when does God multiply? When do people come to know the Lord more than ever? It's when you're being persecuted. Christ died for us, for our sins. He rose on the third day. The third day was the holiday of the first fruits. The first fruits is when you bring the seed for the spring for the harvest to be prayed upon. So, you know, there's so many 
Uh, oh, it was just coincidence. No, God doesn't make mistakes. And, you know, Jesus was the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God. Can we, in just a second, I'm going to have the little children who are in here, they can come forward and pet the animals, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, let those that, um, that are lukewarm today become on fire. Let those that are, burning, are running cold become more than boiling water. Lord, let all of us turn our eyes to you. Let our hearts go and, and, and be one with you. And when we pray that we listen to your voice and not just our voice, that we get, take time, get quiet, get in a place where you can't be disturbed or hear anything and listen to your voice and you will give us the answer. I ask now that, Lord, that all the children come forward and say, Amen, Shalom, which is peace, tranquility, and the love of God upon you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think he's tired, Kim. Yeah, yeah, he's done. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is his moment. <laughs> Come on, let's go. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm so glad Lazarus got to experience the world, aren't you? Man, that's awesome. Uh, resuscitated, and um, now he's got a shepherd. Everybody needs a shepherd, don't they? And um, so he's been resuscitated to life. He's got a shepherd, a guide, and that's awesome. So really, uh, today, as I think about what Kim has shared, I'm just going to set my sermon notes aside. Because maybe this is the moment we need just to take and think about this a little bit more. And so uh, I'll come back. I know I put all the resources and things out online. And so I'll come back next Sunday. We'll be talking about Easter and uh, the resurrection. And that's going to be awesome. Um, praise God for that. And we, uh, we just invite you to come and be a part of it. We're going to have communion for the first time in a long time. Uh, so praise God there. And then... Um, also, if you're online, though, if you can't make it, that's fine. We just reach out and touch you through prayer, and, and we just appreciate your presence as well. Um, so looking forward to next week. It's going to be a couple baptisms next week um, on Easter Sunday. Yes, this has been different this year. Um, we decided we're just going to wait and see who God taps on the shoulder. And sure enough, he tapped a couple people on the shoulder. We never announced it. We never put in the bulletin, never put on social media. God uh, tapped a couple people on the shoulder and said, now's the time. 
And so um, we're going to have a couple of baptisms next week. They'll be sharing their testimony with you as well. You don't want to miss that. Praise God for that. So um, as I think about some of the things that Kim talked about, I think about the season. Of course, this is Holy Week and Good Friday's coming up, and that's a very special time. And then, of course, Easter on Sunday, a week from today. But um, I think about the theme of rejection. Think about that, how painful rejection can be. And um, if you ever sat in a counseling office and with somebody, they've been rejected by a mother or father, uh, I don't know that we really understand emotional pain until you have sat down and had that conversation and just listened to someone who's been deeply, deeply rejected. Um, those people who have been deeply rejected by a mom or a dad really spend a lifetime trying to heal from that experience. It's not uncommon. They struggle. Of course, there's counselors and therapists and, and uh, others who come in around them and try to help them process all that happened. But the rejection is so deep. It's so um, soul-scarring that they can hardly get away from it. And, uh, and when we think about that, we think about, you know, how, how a, a, a mother can reject a lamb, you know, and how horrible that is and where would where would Lazarus be where would all those sheep be if they didn't have a shepherd and Kim I mean Kim and Sam I, I just don't know how they would make it without the shepherd who understands that there's sometimes there's people that go through rejection and here lately it's been a burden on my heart I have noticed and I've done a lot of research on this I'm very anxious to share it with you in the upcoming messages and especially where we are and talking about the family and things but one of the things that I see playing out, and it's really, we talk about in terms of pandemics. Um, and we talk in terms of a pandemic, I think, when we talk about this topic, and that is the rejection that many times daughters feel from fathers. And when daughters feel the rejection of a father or a son, but especially daughters and the disposition, the makeup that God has given them, how devastating that is and how they spend lifetimes trying to figure out who they can get to love them. And if they're not loved and received by the father, mother and father, but especially by the father, that's, see, when they're around dad, that's their first impressions of what masculinity is like and what, that, what love looks like, what men look like, what, what, how they relate, the nuances of masculinity in the home. And so I've just been immersing myself in, in reading on this. And, and you would not believe the prolific stories, book after book, testimony after testimony of girls, daughters, who felt the rejection of a dad and how they struggle just to, um, they feel vulnerable, they feel unprotected, they don't feel invested in, they don't feel loved and cared for. And as a result, many, many times will give their body to whoever just so somebody will hold them for five minutes. That's how deep this cuts. It's very, very concerning. It's pandemic. You would not believe. This is what drives hookup culture. This is what drives, this is what drive bad, personal, even sexual decisions in, in a young lady or young man's life because it stems back to the fact that they want to be loved and they don't feel the love. I just read a book uh, recently, and the title of the book was, Daddy, Do You Love Me? Daddy, pull it up on the screen if you would for me. Daddy, do you love me? These two girls know what it's like. Oh, they had a father in their life. 
they had uh, they had somewhat of a connection, but it wasn't a healthy relationship. And they spent the majority of their life trying to figure out why daddy didn't love them. And I want to ask you today, those of you who are parents and we, thought, we think about shepherds and we think about sheep and we think about rejection and we think about Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says he was made to be sin. Therefore, he faces all of this immense rejection. He faces it and he experiences it. And what he does on the cross is he lets us know, he answers the question, Daddy, do you love me? He answers that question. And he answers it for you and for you and for you. Regardless of what parental experiences you may have or other family experiences, regardless of whether uh, you felt accepted or approved, there's one who comes in through Good Friday and the Easter event. He comes into your life and he says to you, you are approved, accept my acceptance of you. That's what the gospel is. You've been accepted in and through Christ. You've been rescued. You've been uh, snatched up into a new family. And so he says, now your job is to believe it and live in light of that new acceptance, that there's an acceptance that's been a new identity that's been stamped over your life, regardless of what you have or have not felt from a parent or other um, significant person in your life. And that's the gospel, and that's the beauty of what we have in Jesus. You know, um, when I think about one of the things that Kim talked about was how the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. That's always impacted me. And I think the reason that's impacted me, that little detail in Matthew's gospel, actually all the gospels talk about that. And the reason it impacts me is because sometimes in my life, and maybe sometimes in your life, you feel you're cut off from something that you can't get inside of. That you're on, outside, on the outside looking in through the window. Everybody's having the meal together. Everybody's doing the Easter egg hunts. And they're having their Easter hams. And life is great. And, and, but yet you feel on the outside of that. That you don't belong. You ever felt that way? Well, I think Jesus understands where we were. And he understands that he had to do something to welcome us all in. And so when I look at that little detail going into this Good Friday week and thinking about what that all means and what that meant and what it always means and that what it always means is the curtain has been torn. In other words, words, come on in. You see, you had to have special vestments. You had to have special criteria and credentials to be a priest and to walk into that most holy place, the holy of holies, you know, where there's special worship furniture in the presence of God. It was like his footstool. The presence of God was so strong. They tied a rope around the guy's ankle in case he just would drop dead in the presence of God because he wasn't holy enough. Pull him out. But on Good Friday... When he said it's finished, and that head drops just like that. That three to four inch thick curtain, 30 feet wide, 30 feet high, about that thick, it rips from top to bottom. Whoosh, just like that. And it was opened up, and there's no longer a wall of separation. What's the message? Come on in. Have you felt rejected? Have you felt on the outside of something you can't get inside of? 
Have you felt alienated from life with God? Have you felt like a shepherd with a lamb without a shepherd? Have you felt have you felt distance between you and your creator? Jesus he hangs his head in death. He says it's finished. What's finished? All the salvation plan is finished. All of what God needed to have happen in and through Christ is finished so that now you can walk right in and feel at home in the presence of one you don't have to be afraid of anymore. And this is the end of rejection. And it's the beginning of a new belonging, a new community, a new life. You know, uh, we all, I think Jesus understands the fact that we all ask that question, Daddy, do you love me? I'm going to be exploring that theme because it's a, it's a special burden that God has given me. And I want to challenge you dads in upcoming weeks. I'm actually going to challenge on, the, on both parents for mother and father and challenging them on sons and daughters and what daughters have to have if they're going to feel this safe and this sense of connection, this safety. And of course, it, you and, as moms and dads have a lot to do with that. But at the same time, the foundation of everything, of our acceptance, is it starts with God and it starts with Jesus and it starts with what he's done for you and for me. And so if you're on the outside of something, you're not sure about the religious things, you're not sure about church, you're not sure about the Bible, you're not sure about maybe all the details that we think about and talk about and read about in Holy Week, you're just not sure about all those things. The gospel says you don't have to be the expert. You just have to recognize their separation in your life from you and your walk with God. And if you feel that and you've experienced that and you know rejection, the, tur the curtain's been torn. Come on in. You don't have to wait. Come on in. God welcomes you in and says, I'm going to get to know you now and I'm going to answer the question in personal ways. You've had the question, Daddy, do you love me? God, do you love me? God, do you care for me? Do you see me? Do I matter? Do I matter enough for you to spend time with me? Yes, you do. And the gospel answers that. You know, I'm going to close with this today. Uh, this story, Daddy, Do You Love Me? Ariel Allison on your left and Shelby Rolson on your right on the screen. They, uh, they've spent their life trying to process what this, this rejection stuff feels like and they felt it from an early age. And do you know that many young ladies and young men, but especially ladies, have a burning contempt for their dads? A burning contempt. You know, it makes sense when we read things in the Bible like parents, um, you know, children honor your parents. And then we're going to read, um, you know, in upcoming days, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't make, don't, don't make them angry. Don't, don't put a, um, a settled disposition of frustration between them and yourself. And so, uh, these gals experienced this. Um, they didn't get a sense that they were loved or important from their dads. Their dads never enforced boundaries with them. And so that just said to them they didn't matter. It didn't, he didn't bother to care for them even in that way. 
and it says to a girl that she's not loved. Um, they've lost respect for their dad. He uh, and their dad's disappointed them because they were just kind of there but absent in their life. Ariel Allison and Shelby Rolson have written this book, Daddy, Do You Love Me? And I think it echoes in all of our hearts. And he says, when you, they say, you know, when you see a father walking through the park with the, with the daughter, do you feel a little bit of an ache? Here's what they write. They write of fathers. Did he tell you he loved you? Were there strings attached? Did he hold you and tell you you're beautiful? Were there expectations that came with that hug? Did he tuck you in at night? Was he there when you went to sleep? Did you wait for him to pick you up on, on the weekends? Did he come? Did he tell you he was proud of you? Did he play with you? See, these ladies know what that's like. And they know what that feels like to be on the outside of something that they couldn't get on the inside of. And there's this masculine mystery that hung around their life because they never saw the subtle nuance of a dad in the home and so it just lets them, it leaves them vulnerable, grasping, grasping for definition. Why was I never good enough for his attention? There's emptiness, there's hurt, there's anger. They can't even say the names of their dads without wanting to think of other things that are not so good. You know, you can understand when you understand their story. Ariel, on your left there, she, on the screen... She said, I learned to use my body to keep the attention of men in my life because my dad would never pay attention to me. So I did what I learned to do at 13. I learned to keep his, other people's attention because it gave me a feeling somebody actually saw me. And uh, her dad uh, left her with an 18-year-old that became her boyfriend. He babysat for her for about three months, her and her siblings. And uh, his her dad was, he walked with the Lord, but he was just kind of checked out. He went to Bible study, 18-year-old came in, did the babysitting. You can see where that's going to go in a hurry. And uh, as a result, today, there are inappropriate pictures of her floating around in the internet world, all because of those three months. And the worst thing is she finds out later her dad knew it happened, and he never did anything to stop it. The guilt was eating him alive, eating him alive, and he finally confessed to knowing about it, but doing nothing to stop it. And she said, I resented my dad for years for that. Even into my 20s, I'm a married woman. And my husband would pull me to the side and get togethers and tell me to stop, stop taking shots at my dad and treating him so poorly in front of everybody else. And he would just gently, her husband would just gently reprimand her and say, hey, listen, you better back off a little bit because this is going to get really bad. But she said, I, I just hated what he allowed to happen in my life. Fast forward several years, he's trying to answer the question, Daddy, do you love me? And maybe you're trying to answer that today. And maybe that even goes a step further and says, Daddy, Heavenly Father, do you love me? Do you love me? Of course, Jesus does a great job of answering that, but that's where she was, Daddy, do you love me? Fast forward several years, her dad's dying and she would go once a week to sit with him and talk with him. And uh, he never wanted to talk about their relationship. He could talk for an hour about elections, about world and current events. 
he could just talk so long and she would just sit and she wouldn't huff and puff and she wouldn't roll her eyes. She would just let him talk. But it was agonizing because at the end of all those visits, you know, she would go for this weekly visit as he was kind of entering the last leg of his life journey. He had cancer and uh, time was short. And they would get to the end of, the, of their visit and, uh, and she would go to hug her dad and she would say, I love you, dad. And he wouldn't say it back. He'd say, yeah. And, and she had a sister with blue eyes that, that, that would say goodbye to him. And her sister would say, you know, goodbye, dad. Love you, dad. And he'd say goodbye, little blue eyes. It was the pet name he had for when uh, she was growing up. And goodbye, little blue eyes. And I love you, daddy, she'd say. And I love you too, he would say. And, but he would never say it to Ariel. I love you, daddy. Yeah. That's all she got. Week after week, her husband would hold her when she got home because it took her a while to recover from those. And she said, I could do, I could endure anything. Seeing him in the bed, the smell of cancer, I could endure all of that. But I couldn't endure the rejection. It was eating me alive. She wanted so badly to ask, Daddy, do you love me? He decided the time had come. He's two weeks away from what appears to be the end of his life. They go through the routine, right? Goodbye, Daddy. Goodbye, little blue eyes. I love you, Daddy. I love you too. Now Ariel's turn. Goodbye, Daddy. Bye. I love you, Daddy. Yeah. She said, I wanted to run. My head's spinning. I get dizzy. And she said, she said, I wanted to get out of there so fast, but she said, I was so afraid. I needed to get the question answered. Daddy, do you love me? Can I ask you a question, Dad? Here's how she describes it. He doesn't say anything, but he just looks at me as he lays in that bed, barely able to lift his head from the pillow. Tears are running down my face before I can even open my mouth to speak. My heart is pounding so hard, I can hear it thudding in my ears. I feel dizzy, the room is spinning, but somehow the words tumble out in a stuttering mess. She says, every time I leave, Daddy, I tell you that I love you, but you never say it back. Why don't you say it, Dad? Do you love me, Dad? She said that the expression on his face just crumbles. Do you love me? He starts to cry. And, she, and he says, you know, I'm sorry I haven't said it all these years. I do love you. She said, I never really figured out why it was so hard for my dad to say I love you. She said, I think it's probably because of all of our, the six kids or so in our family. I was probably the one that challenged him the most. I was the one that probably created the most headaches and the most inconvenience for him in his life. And she said, probably the reason she can 
kind of piece it together. She probably needed him more than these other kids needed him, and it terrified him. He didn't know what to do with it. She said he died, but I still felt empty. Before he passed on, I felt that God was calling me to stand up at his funeral and honor him publicly. And officially, it was me of his six children that needed to do it. And of every one of his family, I had the most reason not to do this, she says, but I was the one that needed to in front of 200 people. I was able to honor my father for the things he had done right. His compassion for the needy people, his love for humor, all the other things about his life. I was able to honor him. Maybe you're here today and uh, you wonder if you're loved. Maybe you wonder if somebody significant in your life loves you. And maybe somehow that's transferred and it's taken kind of, it's been put on a, um, across your spiritual filter. And it's not just daddy, do you love me? But it's God, do you love me? Do I matter? Do I matter to you? You know, um, if your heavenly father answers that question and he does so wonderfully in Jesus and Calvary, he answers the question of love. And he demonstrates that in confidence-building ways. And the greatest I love you, the greatest invitation to come in and be a part of something you feel cut off from comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Daddy, do you love me? Are we answering that question? God has answered that question. And maybe you need to answer that question. For someone in your life today, my God, my God, he says, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he had experienced this sense of separation from the loving, intimate fellowship with the Father. He'd never been broken or out of that loop. He knew that world, such an intimate relationship with God. But when he was made sin to be sin for us who knew no sin, God treats him as if he was this sacrifice that Kim talked about. Treats him as sin, as it were. So that you and I, that curtain can be ripped and you and I can walk in and finally know that we're a part of something. We're now reconnected with something from which we felt cut off all these years. And now we can be a part of it. Daddy, do you love me? That's the question. And he answers in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for... Um, your love and your great grace. Thank you for reaching us today. And we realize that there's some here who maybe feel this alienation. And if they feel this alienation, that you would just uh, slip alongside them and even within them, and you would give them the assurance that you love them. And that you love them in Jesus. Praise God. And we're not cut off anymore. We're welcomed in. We don't have to be an expert. We don't have to be a, a certain level of holiness. We don't have to be sin free. We don't have to be perfect parents or perfect children. We come to you imperfectly, yet so longing for connection and meaning and hope. And I just ask and pray that everybody here who's been longing to hear that I love you um, in their life, that they could hear it in the gospel today. 
and you would just touch them and bring them into your fold and you be their shepherd and you guide them through the rejections of life because it's in that guidance that the bond is formed with the shepherd. And it's through the hurt that the bond is formed with the shepherd. Praise God. And I ask and pray today that they would just boldly step in and boldly step into the life that you have for them. And I just pray especially for moms and dads as we'll be addressing them here um, after Easter. I just pray you would guide them and you would strengthen them. And and it's go time in so many families. I look out and I see these precious little daughters running around our church and these precious young men so handsome and strong. and, And I just think of just this great calling that you've placed on the shoulders and and the responsibility of mothers and fathers and how you've given them a time such as this. And it's so brief. It's that little 18-year window where so much happens. And Father, I pray that our church would champion those 18 years and uh, that we would set people up, parents up, to love and love well so that our kid would never have to ask, Daddy, do you love me? Mama, do you love me? We could answer that question every day. And we would answer in how we spend time. We would answer it in how we set up boundaries. We would answer it in how we have the hard conversations. We would answer it in how we address the hurts and wounds in life. We would answer it. We would answer it in the gospel of Jesus. And so I ask and pray this day, you would just bind up our wounds, bless our parents, bless our kids, Bless us this holy week as we see you hanging on the cross, enduring a separation you were never meant to endure, and yet you willingly step into it. You willingly take on the responsibilities and accumulated burdens of hurts of the past. You take it on. You absorb it into your body. It's broken and bruised and bloody body on Calvary. You absorb it into your body, and you take it on. And you, um, you show us what love is. Thank you. And so, Father, now we just pray for your guidance the rest of this day. You fill us with this longing to love you and to know you more. And you invite us in. And so we step into it just now. We step into this new life in Christ. We do it for your honor and your glory. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, you've been a great group this morning. We've given you a a one-two punch here this morning, a lot of information, but hopefully the Lord will touch your life and strengthen you and guide you. And uh, can we stand together? Again, we will look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. If you see Lazarus out there, give him a head pat. Let that little guy know he's loved, all right? And have a great week. Blessings. my first defense and oh your name is my last amen it carries me when I cannot stand